are only two horror stories that you can tell. I mean, there's ba two basically temp templates of a horror story. And very quickly, I can illustrate them. If you imagine we're all sitting around a campfire in the old days and a medicine man is standing there. And we're a tribe and he says, let me tell you where the evil is. It's out there beyond the darkness. It's the other, it's the other tribe. It's the beasts in the woods. That's the, that's the evil. That's one story, the evil from outside. Same situation, we're in a, a circle around a campfire, Our, the medicine man, the holy man stands up and says, I'll tell you where evil is, it's right in here. It's in our human hearts, it's in us. That's evil on the inside. Two stories. <laughs> if, if you like to find really used VHS tapes. If you want a deal on old or broken electronics, Call if, to <laughs> if you want a deal on the best VCRs that you can get anywhere, go to Ray's Auto VCR Repair Shop. Buy a house for the price of a VCR. <laughs> Cleveland, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cleveland, yeah. Um, At least we're not Detroit. <laughs> we're not Detroit. <laughs> I think I should keep that in, don't you? Why not? All right. Welcome to Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And, um... Ladies and gentlemen, horror is horrible. And by that, I mean terrible. Uh, um, now, you're you're putting a large umbrella, though, under all horror, though. Yes. You say that. Why do you say that all horror is horrible and qualify your statement? Because I like hyperbole, Jack. <laughs> the point is... You're, you're, you're like certain politicians, I can think of. Even today, horror is looked on as one of the lesser genres of film. I mean, people look... I mean, there's this idea of genre films being less worthy of accolades, being less worthy of serious critical appraisal. Nowadays, in the age of the internet, people are more willing to voice their opinions, and there's clearly a lot of support for movies that don't get a lot of attention. Hard. Yeah. Oscar season. Horror I mean, films just generally do not get nominated for like big Oscar type awards. Maybe occasionally you get an independent spirit award. Um, but yeah, horror, even that when actors are really giving it their all, it gets kind of relegated to this area of, well, it'll make a lot of money opening weekend and the kids will go see it. But you know, it's not, it's not for us. You know, it's not for us people who go to Toronto and Venice and, you know, like that, you know, sweet, you know, magic, uh, true life drama stories. And It's not for those people. Of course, we know better. Horror is great. But has it reached its potential? Wrong. No, well, it has not. <laughs> but, so what, but are you saying, though, in like all genres, though? Because I feel like it... It's probably reached its potential in certain sub-genres. I think it's reached its potential by now and maybe gone a little too far with, like, the zombie film. Like, Well, the zombie film has reached saturation at this point. Well, no, but I feel like, it. to me, it, it, it George Romero laid a lot of the groundwork and did so much that you almost think seeing, like, those first three movies he made, like, wow, you, you maybe really found the potential for this kind of movie... But then you see something like 20 Days Later, and you're like, oh, this is really hitting its stride. This is really where it's getting into something I haven't seen before. Um, so how can But we... by this point now, though, we are at the point where it's hit its potential and maybe gone into saturation. That was just my point about it. Perhaps. 
However, there's always a way to freshen things up. Okay. So, our question tonight is, what horror ideas and what horror tr- uh, and what horror concepts have we yet to see? Hmm. How can we twist genres? How can we take tropes, turn them around a little bit? And see what we c- and make something fresh in the horror genre. This is October, after all. We gotta talk about horror because it's October and we have to. Yeah, I mean, of course, every genre has their cliches. Right. That's kind of what we're talking about. I mean, with horror, you know, you have the found footage type of movie. Um, you know that that that's a big one that I think we can very safely say that's at saturation point. Maybe not. Well, when you say well, when I say saturation point, I mean that there are way too many of them. Yes. I don't mean that necessarily about the potential question. I mean more about we just have such a glut of them, and they are kind of thrown at us so much that. But when you think that they haven't reached their that they could do more of them, what do you mean? Well, here's a uh, let me give you an idea of something of kind of what I'm going for. What can we do to 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 make like a fresh horror movie these days what could we pitch to somebody so is the problem is a lot of times when you pitch movies to people oftentimes especially studio execs who are very anxious and pearl clutching and don't want to give away their money just to anybody will want to hear something like this meet something like this or this thing but we're doing this little thing different and so it's always very risky to give somebody a brand new idea oftentimes those are very like they, they take a it's a mountain to climb well let me talk a little bit about something i found out this has to do with my cinema immersion tank with suspiria with suspiria i found out some very interesting things about suspiria when i was doing some research after i'd finished my cinema immersion tank i, I might know a couple of things you're about to say but go ahead okay so one of the interesting things that i found was the very ending of the film mm-hmm. was based upon a dream that one of the writers had. Well, you mean Argento? No, uh, someone else. Oh, okay. Th- this person had a dream that they were in a room with an invisible witch, and there was a panther in the room at the same time that exploded. Yeah. That was their dream. And they basically wrote that into the ending of Suspiria. You know the ending of Suspiria, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Where she ends up in that bedroom mm-hmm. with the head witch of the coven. Yes. And she pulls back that curtains and you can't see the witch. She's invisible. Mm-hmm. And then if you notice later on, right after that, Jessica Harper looks off to the side to this table where there's just like photographs and things on, on the table. And there's a panther statue that explodes. Yeah. <laughs> But I found that very interesting because Suspiria is lit and it's shot to seem unreal. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really admired about. As much crap as I well, give Suspiria, I admire it for some of its ambition. Yeah, well, the thing that I thought you were about to bring up was actually the fact that I brought up on Suspiria a bit too. And he Argento has said that the, his big influence for the movie was not really horror movies. It was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Yes. He was inspired by, like, classic Disney fairy tales. Yeah, and he he, he showed the production designer, like, this is what I want you to base the look off of, and he showed him so, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Yeah, and I think that is usually a good idea to not, you know, don't just limit yourself to uh, take from other horror movies. Take from other things that might inspire you. Like, that's why... 
a lot of Guillermo del Toro's movies are so unique because he's so much of like a pop culture and cultural sponge yeah. that he takes from everywhere and you could see a lot of different influences in his work. You see that in Pacific Rim where he just gives a very large uh, variety to the different Jaegers in there and he references things from shows like Evangelion and uh, lots of other just classic robot anime. Well, And then also the kaiju, like, you know, you, you think the kaiju are just one thing and then there's that magical moment at least for me where all of a sudden the one monster opens up its wings yeah and that was where i like had a big stupid grin and i'm like yes yeah that and the thing is like uh that one monster just like has an emp in its back Mm -hmm. or when the when the or when the guy uh or when gypsy danger picks up that ship and just uses it like a baseball bat against the one now the thing that you're talking so the thing you're talking about though is reinvigorating these tropes or trying to find well, let a me new get, way to let do... me get back to suspiria oh yeah yeah uh the thing i the thing i admire about suspiria is that it has it's when when you read about the movie dario gento had this ambition to give the this dreamlike quality which didn't show through enough in the film it, it didn't end up on film to me huh. now now he was certainly trying for it with the primary colors with the the very bizarre deaths with the music the music yes but it didn't go but it didn't go far enough for me but there are films that try for the dreamlike atmosphere remember phantasm yeah phantasm is a very dreamlike film there are there are little passages of it where um it certainly gets into that i mean like whenever you have the sequence where they go into uh is it the tall man is it the character? They go into his house and you have all those corridors with all of those uh are they drawers or are they like cabinets or something? They are the wall of vaults. The wall of vaults. Yeah, and then you have of course the 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 silver ball that, you know, becomes like a giant like It becomes a death machine. Death machine. And there's also that one moment, which might be my favorite part of the movie, where the character opens up the, the door or the little chamber, and it's like this other world. Yeah. It's all in red. It almost looks like he's going to Mars. Yeah. And you only see that for like 10 seconds of this whole movie, but it gives you enough to suddenly think, oh, there's this entire other world yeah. that he is just teasing us. Now, that is really clever. Now the big flaw with a film like Phantasm mm-hmm. is the ending of that of Phantasm, which is it is only a dream. Hmm. That really pisses people off. I thought that Fan- I thought Phantasm kind of ended on more of a concrete note than that. Sort of, but it's you, a little ambiguous. It you know what I like what I think I liked about it is that it ends ambiguously, but you also a lot of times horror movies may sequel bait a little right. too much this didn't do that in such a hard way i was more naturally looking at that going i want to have more adventures with these characters hmm. at some point and um but i get what you're saying like trying to bring in actual dreams which sometimes filmmakers do yeah and, and but and then when you look at phantasm in retrospect where it's like 
oh, there was so many dreamlike touches, it makes a little more sense that it was a dream. But when you're when before you've gotten to that ending, if you've never seen it before, you're looking at it like, why is all this weird stuff happening? Why do they move back and forth? Why do some of these things just not make sense? Mm-hmm. And then you get to that ending, and it's like, oh, it was only a dream. Well, well, that's why, um, like they, uh, um, you have like Eraserhead, yeah, which is we could maybe classify that as a horror movie. Yeah. But it's a very different kind of horror movie because it's about, it's actually about something that's very personal to people. And it's about something that is not usually made into a horror movie, which is the horror of parenthood. Yeah. And the desperation of being trapped in a marriage, the desperation of being trapped in a marriage and being a father. When the thing that you see that you're supposed to love looks like just a thing. Or when you don't feel love for your children. Yeah, when you feel extremely awkward. You're embittered about your children. Yeah, and that's... More horror movies should do that. I I like when horror movies really bring emotions that people are really feeling and bring them into a setting. That's why I've talked about the movie The Babadook. Yeah. Which, uh, that movie, even though it doesn't... Like, the main premise of it is that this mother and her son get they, they mysteriously are sent this book which is all about the baba duke 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 yeah. and it's like this boogeyman character but the movie isn't even really about that so much it's about this son who at first seems like he's really messed up but then gradually over the course of the film there's this reversal and the mother becomes really messed up hmm. and it becomes at least to me this sort of parable about how parents and children really have to take care of each other or else they're going to kill each other. Yeah. But it's, in that, I think there's a parallel to that in the films of Val Luton, mm-hmm. like cat people, yeah. cat yeah, people, or the, or the seventh victim. That was one that popped up. Yeah. Recently. I mean, cat people is a film that I, I've brought up several times, but it's worth talking about again because it's about on the face of it. It's about this woman who's afraid that she's cursed to turn into a large cat. Mm. But when you look at it, it's not just that she's afraid she'll turn into a cat. She's afraid that she'll turn into a cat when she becomes sexually aroused. And it's really... it's And the undertone of it is that it's really about sexual anxiety and, and being in a relationship that is sexually unfulfilling. Yes. For both the woman and the man. They are two people who really suffer, not because she's a cat person, but because they cannot physically connect yeah and that's the heart of that movie why why do you think here's a good question um why why do you think how why do you think halloween stands out the, the film halloween one? yeah what what i'm I, I think i'm hoping you know you can get the right answer but what <laughs> specifically about that separates it from you know any like so many other slasher movies Ooh. Why is Halloween such a quality film when it's in a genre that's generally not very good? Yeah, well, that, but also something about, like, how Carpenter treats that, uh, the characters or the threat of it. Huh. I mean, I have an answer, but I was just curious maybe if you could... Well, I think this is a... I can... The only answer I have right now is one that I come up when I compare it to other films. Okay. So, uh, so when I compare... 
when I compare Halloween mm-hmm. to a film like Friday the 13th or A Nightmare on Elm Street yes. or Hellraiser, it's a very successful film that got which spawned a dozen and more copycats. Mm. The script was written very competently. Mm-hmm. It was it gave all of its characters a level of intelligence and the events occurred in a very realistic way. Mm-hmm. There's nothing very outlandish about Halloween. No. It's 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 very down to earth. Mm-hmm. It's very restrained okay. in its events. It could happen it, this is something that could conceivably happen in real life. Yeah. Uh every film that came after Halloween that was imitating it wanted to put their own spin on it, but as it got further and further from the simplicity of Halloween, they had to bend over backwards to justify their plots. Okay. And it, on one hand it's shoddy copying it's ripping off but on the other hand it's simply not uh having the same respect for characters and for simplicity of story yeah well there is definitely that i think there's also this added element with how michael myers in that movie like he like carpenter in interviews is doesn't even call michael myers he calls him the shape and Mm. so he's almost treated more like even though he is this character who's escaped from a mental hospital and he's been there since he killed his sister and he's been kind of like catatonic he almost takes on this subtle demonic presence which isn't really made very much into a big deal but because of how carpenter shoots him he takes on this presence that like because you can't talk to him and because you can't relate to him it you know, th- there's almost this mythical threat to him. I've thought about that in Halloween. I think there's there's something... And it's there's not so something... much in the writing. It's more so in the direction. Hmm. There's something cosmically horrific about Michael Myers. Yeah. Which is that he's not... The way he... Again, it, become, it became a bad trope for slasher movies, but the way that he'll appear to a character, and then the character will look away, and then look back, and the character is not there... Yeah, like other movies do that, but then they do it with characters who were supposed to just be regular people. There was a great, there was a great deal of ambiguity about Michael Myers. Yes, not just in, yeah, you know, not just in the way he was shot, but the way he was dressed. You don't it, get the why of it either. No, and that's the thing. It's he's cosmically horrific, like like yeah. a Lovecraft monster. You can't explain him, and you can't reason with him because he basically has nothing you can identify. Bringing with. Lovecraftian mystery into the slasher genre this is lovecraftian mystery on a very small scale of course it is it's a small scale but it in the aim that carpenter went out to look for he succeeds it whereas you see friday the 13th and there finally comes that point where it's like oh i'm mrs Voorhees, my son my only son you never paid any attention look what you did to him it's like okay yeah you have your reasons yeah i mean uh great reason for wanting revenge but it doesn't make much sense when you compare it to everything else that we've done a lot of times too when when it comes to these tropes it also comes down to how the culture responds to it as well Mm. i mean the reason why psycho made such a big splash was because in 1960 you just didn't get movies like that that were presented to the public in such a big way like, maybe occasionally you would get kind of like a, maybe a sleazy 
uh, B-movie, but it would not be seen, or it wouldn't be executed in such a way that would grab your attention. Psycho was, uh, had a very sordid plot. Yes. Where it was kind of sleazy in its own way, it had that potential, and it was based upon a kind of sleazy novel. Yeah. But it, but Alfred Hitchcock took it seriously and saw yeah. the potential, and he me and you know he parlayed his own fame and his own skit and his own uh, mystery into this into this story, and he took it very seriously, yeah. and he just went with it. But I was just reminded of this, because I talked briefly about seeing Hitchcock Truffaut, the documentary. They go, they go, they spend quite a bit talking about Psycho, and how, you know, the audience seeing that movie, you know, an audience is often used to seeing a movie a certain way, and that's often what will throw people off when you actually do take a chance and throw in something new. In this case, it was you know, killing off a character halfway through the movie, which you think is your main character. And all of a sudden it becomes someone else's story. Yeah. Like that was something which is so like, it's so hard to do and maybe so idiosyncratic that you can't really repeat it too much. Hmm. But it's also like why, you know, the way that we were just talking about Halloween, why did the, why has found footage exploded? Because Blair Witch Project, uh, took a chance on taking a lot of time not showing you anything yeah just having characters in a tent as you hear lots of sound and then like things are happening and you don't know what what what's going on now not all horror fans i think responded to blair witch project the same it didn't actually get quite the like enthusiastic praise that halloween or psycho got but it did you know, the way that you were trying to talk about what are ways that we can try to find uh, new tropes or new ways to do horror. That was something where we took a little, we took an approach which has done one or two times and really done something with it. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I see, yeah. It, do, it does depend on presentation and about going and against expectation. And the audience's expectation. expectation because they don't know, like... Well, part of that was because of hype <laughs> also, too. Like, they really hyped up, like, oh, maybe these kids really were lost. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that was a great idea. <laughs> Do you remember a film we saw together? The last in... broadcast? No, no, no. Uh, I'm talking about something a little different. We watched a film here, mm -hmm. which we loved until the end. It was a French film. High Tension. Yes. Yeah. That was a film that played very well with expectations. In it, and this time it did it. Uh, it did it with the tropes of horror films. Yeah, where you know you see a character, they go up to a sink which is below a mirror. Mm -hmm. They look down to wash their face, and we as filmgoers have been trained to expect that when she gets up again, she will see the murderer in the mirror standing behind her. Yes, and by simply not doing that, they impressed us. Either we're very easy to impress, or there's something going on here. Unfortunately, something else happens in that film. Which, yeah. Which we won't talk about. We'll let you be pissed off by yourselves. Yeah. But that film was almost perfect in its execution. Yeah. It, it, it really, uh, there was a lot of attention paid to uh, the thought processes of characters, how characters are reacting to things. Um, yeah, there is definitely that aspect. Um, I guess I'm curious if maybe it's only now 
<clears throat> you can only really do different things in kind of a med- meta-narrative sense, like the way Cabin in the Woods really played with expectations, hmm. but was almost commenting on them as they were doing it. Hmm. The fact that they have, like, you have, like, this almost kind of bureaucratic uh, technological station where all of the horror tropes are being controlled. Yeah. And, uh, and but then by the climax of the movie, all the tropes are collapsing in on itself. Yeah. Matt, Matt Sloan of uh, Welcome, Welcome to, the to the Basement, he basically called Cabin in the Woods a thesis on horror theory. Yeah. It's it's like if... if uh, it's, it's basically like a... Yeah, it's like a term paper with jokes. Yeah. It's... Man, if I start ca- talking about Cabin in the Woods, we're going to be here yeah, for like yeah, two yeah, hours. Yeah, 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 but... Uh, Let's get a little bit... I'm going to take us back to Suspiria. Okay. Because here's another very interesting thing that I learned about that film. When Dario Argento wanted to make Suspiria, he wanted the cast... He wanted the characters to be 12-year-old girls. Yeah, originally, yeah, he wanted them to be much younger. Yes. Which makes it... Which makes that a bit more disturbing. Yes, it does. But it's also very intriguing. Because think about horror films where children are actually in danger. Yeah. The one I can think of is The Devil's Backbone. When you say children in danger, you mean though like... Where the children are the main characters, where the threat is explicitly against them. It's... And it's them having to sort out the solution to their problem. So you don't mean just like if it's a... Like kids get possessed or something. No, story, not like poltergeist story. where the girl gets sucked into that ghost dimension. Yeah, well, then ghost that. Dimension. Well, in that technically, uh, you could say the mother and father are the main characters. Yeah, I mean where children are the protagonists. Yes. I mean, think about how novel that would seem to a modern audience. Mm. I mean, where you. Well, you know what though? What you're talking about? Uh, this isn't a movie, but this is probably why the show Stranger Things. Yeah. has been such a big cultural milestone for people because now granted this isn't exactly the most original thing the people behind the show very nakedly have said oh yeah yeah we're we love spielberg and we love stephen king but a big part of the success of it the story um again we're not talking about the movie here because that that's a well, we're talking about the book well more so, yeah a little bit more of the book and then how that brought into stranger things which is that like you have these kids who band together and they have to figure out, all right, how are we going to fight this? Uh, how are we going to figure out this thing with this other kid who has been kind of mentally hijacked and made this torture device or something? Yeah, we're just kids. How are we going to figure this out? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> but it's difficult to do that because often, like, kids are usually the pawns in stories. Right. It's also some if hollywood has taught us anything it's that a lot of a lot of screenwriters don't know how to write children (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and it's a challenge yeah i just think about i just got the the one line from that are you afraid of the dark episode yeah ew cool (laughs) well that's television (laughs) I I i think we can give television a pass but no (laughs) you you do make a good point like because yeah it's it's something that my wife has brought up with me quite a bit. The Corey has said many times that filmmakers are really scared to kill children. Yes. Like to, or really even just put them in peril, but especially like 
you can't kill a child character unless it's a massively big deal. Right. Like, you know, Pet Cemetery does kill a kid, but that's like that becomes like the crux of the plot. Pet Cemetery <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of history down that road. <laughs> Pet that, Cemetery that... I, I saw I've seen Pet Cemetery. Yes. And I remember being almost floored by Pet Cemetery. I was really impressed with it. Okay. Because of how dark it got. Yeah. It, it, there were it Looking back on a lot of the stuff from reviews that people have written and videos, I, I begin to see the flaws. But when I first saw it, I felt like there were so many punches in Pet Cemetery that did not get pulled. No, it it, it, it goes to where it, it, it's not afraid to really make something tragic and then transform that into horror. I mean, the fact that a child gets killed, and but then that turns into... Uh, a part of the horror in another way yeah it, and it's it's it, so weird i feel like i have to go back to pet cemetery not for a cinema immersion you thing. could say that maybe that i maybe i've talked about this at some point but in stephen king wrote this book other book it's one of his few non-fiction books called dance macabre and it's him just exploring the horror genre mm-hmm. and all of its tropes and all of its types and a lot of, he, he focuses a lot on literature but he also talks about movies and he t- says that a lot of horror comes down to three types of stories. You have your Frankenstein story, you have your Dracula story, and you have your Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has laid the groundwork for so much countless horror out there. You, so you have your so story- The Shining is like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. Yeah, a little bit. Um, with a bit of you know, ghost story in there. Um, Frankenstein is about resurrecting the dead. Right, and Dracula is about the undead. Although that's a little bit more, that that in a way has its own roots in kind of gothic romantic literature, because mm-hmm. Dracula is like constantly trying to get the ladies. Um, but a lot of horror people working in horror have been dealing with a lot of those same tropes over and over again. Yeah, The Shining had a child in peril who we kind of liked. Yes, yes, very he, much so. He, he was sort of master of his... Mm-hmm. He, he had a say in his fate. Yeah. He was an active character. And again, I, br- I brought up Babadook for, as also another example of that kind of story where the kid wasn't the only main character. It was split between this son and his mother. Right. But you also... But there you felt... Again, part of it was the role reversal, but it was also that you felt the son was in peril after after seeming like a threat. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but imagine a film like Suspiria, a film made with basically young children. Yeah, I feel like there was some other movie I'd heard of that. I, aside originally... from, aside from the obvious difficulty of a film where children die, mm-hmm. what do you, what obstacles do you think? also get in the way of the, of of that sort of idea hmm. is there any way to surmount, ask me that again is there any way to surmount that problem of of basically butchering children to make this movie a reality well i think maybe part of what a screenwriter might might a uh, uh argue with you about is like wouldn't killing a child that would be such a traumatic turn in the story that you might take 
some of your audience out of it. Hmm. Is there an example of something like that? I mean, have you have like a film where something like that happened and it turned you off to it? Because hmm. that because I kind of understand what you're saying, but it seems very abstract to me. Huh. Well, um. Not so much Killing a Child. This is a totally different genre. But when I was rewatching Captain America: Civil War, yeah, uh, they 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 kind of address, they asked they kind of talked a little bit about or addressed how some people asked kind of asked them why didn't you kill uh, um, uh, Bucky or why didn't you kill um, Rhodey or something? And they're like, well, then you would kind of take away from what the story is really about all of a sudden it's like oh this character is dead and you have to deal with that so what you're saying is the death of a certain character overshadows the primary conflict of the film possibly it no longer is about captain america helping the winter soldier it's about how are we going to deal with the death of this one person yeah it shifts the focus of the movie you're saying yeah, um, huh. to to an extent. Um, I, I think the thing is, a lot of horror movie, yeah, a lot of horror movie creators, yeah, you're right though. They don't really use the potential of let's have children as the main characters. I think because they think that a lot of people go see horror movies are like teenagers or young adults or young people who you know they want to see people maybe more their own age. Uh, maybe if we put kids in there, it's like. Are, if you have like an all kid cast or something or a main child like or like Suspiria are children gonna want to maybe see that because they want to identify with those characters hmm. like I saw The Shining when I was way too young and kind of identified <laughs> with Danny and probably identified with him a little bit That's too much oh here's a good example of a movie we might be talking about The Exorcist Huh. Does that fall under what you're talking about, or maybe not? Because with the... a with a child main character, yeah. Or is is the child really the main character? Maybe it's the priest. Yeah. Okay. Damien Karras is the is basically the protagonist. Damien Karras. I believe. Yeah, his name is Damien. You mean Father Karras? His first name is Damien. Yeah. Max von Sydow calls him Damien in the exorcism scene. Wow. Uh, I don't know, that's just a little ironic to me, because you, know, you have Damien in The Omen. Yeah. Um, no, I, I thought Jason Miller, the other priest, was kind of like the main character, because he's kind of dealing with like his crisis of faith. Yeah, that's that's Father Karras. Oh, I th- you know what? I was confusing him with Max von Father Marin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right, but, but Linda Blair, I mean, her what's, her, what's the name of her character again in that? Reagan. Yeah. She's not... Uh, I mean, the whole point is that she's not in control of anything. She's yeah. powerless, and before you know this demon, mm-hmm. I mean, it's more. It's also about the mother who serves as kind of a co-protagonist. It's about Father Karras who's trying to overcome his his crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's more about them. I mean, I got a good movie for you. Oh, let the right one in. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Ooh. There, I think you might, yeah. Or, or let me in. See either one, because actually, one. let me in is not a bad remake in the slightest. So if you check out let me in first before let the right one in, you won't be disappointed. They're they're only slightly different in some ways. They're both very similar in aesthetic. I think let the right one in might be a little bit bleaker. 
Uh, again, it's Swedish. It's very cold. I may end that, up seeing that both. That is a movie that I think would satisfy what you're talking about. Because that's a story where it's, you know, children who relate to each other. That, you know, it's a young boy and a young girl. It's not in any. It's not really sexual, obviously, because they're kids. But it's more about their friendship. But they're also, you know, how can they be friends if this girl is a vampire? Right. Um, a human and a vampire friends? No way. You know what I also just thought about? Mm. Funny games. Uh, funny I games. Don't know if that really weird. works for me though. That. Michael Pitt and the other guy, though, they're not really kids. No, but think about who their victims are. Adults. And? Oh, oh, there's they do entire, have a kid. There's an entire family in that. Well, yeah, mo- of mother and father and kid. Yeah. I almost forgot about that. I mean, the thing is, that movie just kind of... I could have a whole podcast myself about that movie. I, I've seen both versions. I never saw the original. I saw the, only the American one. I like the I like the original better. Okay, and it's not because it's necessarily done any better, like with, in terms of direction. Well, I heard or that in it terms was almost performances. I, is it like a shot for shot remake? They are like practically the similar. The reason I like the original Funny Games better because it's in German. No, it's because <laughs> of the actors. Okay, and it's not their performance. It's because in the American version, it's t- it's Tim Roth yes. and Naomi Watts. Mm. Two, not the most glamorous people in Hollywood, but they're still Hollywood people. Yeah. Very attractive. But the people in the German version, they look just like normal people. That's a little more interesting to me. I, I mean, again, I, I parts of that movie kind of pissed me off just by what michael haneke was doing yeah um i'm not i'm not sure if i should feel angry about funny games i think i felt about funny games in a way the way you did about uh natural born killers where it just kind of turned you off oh yeah but i could see what you're saying though yeah i was Um, fascinated by by funny games i watched the american version first and i i was just watching it and i was really interested by how the villains in that were so unemotional yeah there was something so strange about them and it's very methodical mm. with something that i'd never seen before mm. i a lot some some villains like they they play it off like we're super evil and some are just like laughingly maniacally evil yeah these people were just like evil but they had nothing. It was shown by what they did, not how they acted. Ah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, to bring up another movie with kids, horror movie, Village of the Damned. Hmm. And also its sequel, Children of the Damned, which is... And the remake, of... Village of the Damned. Oh, remake. Uh, <laughs> that's like one of the only times John Carpenter kind of let me down. I know some people are a fan of that one. I just... Oh, it's so unnecessary. Um, I don't know. What what else could we talk about with horror tropes? What what can we do better? How about... Well, ghost stories are just... It's just so tough. Stop basing ghost story movies on real-life events. Yeah, (laughs) The Conjuring or The Conjuring 2. I'm sorry. I I don't... Like, I, I enjoy those movies, but I don't believe for a second that, like, the... From the files of Ed and Lorraine Warren... Like, yeah, come on, guys. No. I, or how about the setup of someone died here? 
Yeah. Isn't that kind of done a little bit much? Well, the... <laughs> I mean, there are good and bad examples of it. But... I mean, it's such a, it's so used that it seems almost invisible. So that if you say someone died here, it's just like, well, it's par for the course, whatever. But I, mean, but if you really stopped and t- took a look at that as an idea and applied some logic to it, it falls apart immediately because someone died here. It's like, well, yeah, people die in lots of places. Yes. People die in streets. People die on the toilet. People die in their beds. People die in ambulances. No one's ever done a film about a haunted ambulance. Yet. Huh. <laughs> there, I think we've cracked the case. We we've come up with an original a haunted ambulance. Wait, so the whole movie takes place in the ambulance? No, it's like it's like a crew of an ambulance, like an ambulance corps, and there's like the people who drive this one ambulance, and they're like, this ambulance is freaky, but we got to go out because we're paramedics. It's like that Nicolas Cage movie that Martin Scorsese Bring did. Bring out the dead. Yeah, but and he's like, oh, I'm a I'm a I'm a tortured paramedic, and I have to go out and save people. But the, the ambulance is haunted, and he's like, he's actually. Well, why is he what just, he ends up? Well, why doesn't he just get out? Because he's being haunted by the spirits who are replaying their deaths. So he's actually responding to old calls of, "Oh, I got this call that we're this person died." It's like that was ten years ago, hmm. <laughs> or it's like, or things like that. He, he ends up like, or he like ends up driving to like a ghost dimension. <laughs> I gotta stop using the term ghost dimension. Uh, the I hate problem, that. Paranormal activity has kind of ruined it. Yeah, <laughs> we just saw paranormal activity, the ghost dimension. Actually, we we might be onto something. Are you writing this down? Uh, sure. This haunted ambulance thing could work. The haunted ambulance. We're not gonna call it the haunted ambulance. That's yeah. stupid. <laughs> Eddie Murphy in the, the haunted, haunted ambulance. Hey man, why I gotta drive around this this, this now, ambulance? Now I'm imagining like a 1960s Disney film with starring Don Knotts called The Haunted Ambulance. Or Fred McMurray. Or Fred McMurray, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like do 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 doom. And or and like Maybe the ambulance talks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the love bug. Yeah. But it's haunted by the spirit of the last man who died, who was like a race car driver. Yeah. And he's like, I got to win one more race. Mm. And it's like, then they're like, we're entering the ambulance into yeah. the Indianapolis 500. But what you're saying, that's, that's not bad. Like, so, so maybe what would be interesting is to show that like, no matter who, like you show, like maybe the star of the movie, you have somebody who's already gone kind of nuts from the ambulance, but then you have like somebody new that's coming to the ambulance. I would have it more like a veteran who's oh. like who like regrets all of the failures he's had. But does and, that but does that make for a horror movie though? It makes for some an interesting movie. I think the horror comes from basically this idea of So it's almost every, like it's like you could die and be in this and someone will eventually come and scrape you off the pavement and this is your fate no matter who you were. You could be like a father with three kids. So you he... could get flattened by a bus, and then some ambulance driver is going to have to take you. Or it's like someone, or or maybe it's like the horror of no matter what you do, you can't stop people from dying in horrible ways. Mm. It's and that's what this ambulance driver is all about. He's like he's so he believes so much in what he does yeah. that every time he fails, even if it's just because of traffic, or even if it's just because 
things happen. Mm-hmm. He can't let it go. And eventually he has to come to terms with the idea that he's going to try to do these ambulance runs for the ghosts. Yeah. But he realizes no matter what he does, they're still dead. Yeah. And that means in real life, no matter what he does, sometimes he's not going to make it. And it ends with him burning the ambulance. Hmm. And he's like, I accept now that I can't do everything. Huh. Copyright. And it would still have Nicolas Cage in it. Ah. I, I can't seem to stop seeing all these dead bodies. I'm going to have to burn them. I like it burn. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's not, let's not all go right. crazy. Not bad, not bad. Almost ca- That could be a Stephen King type of story. Actually, now you're just making me think of Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> where the cars come alive. Imagine the 1960s Disney version of Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> Maximum still, Overdrive. It could still star Emilio Estevez. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not the soundtrack of ACDC. Yeah. Uh, Maximum Overdrive. I think... The night we watched that, we really got hung up on the rules of Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. Of what came alive and what didn't. And what constituted a sentient machine. Yeah, because the fact that yeah the trucks come alive. I think at one point a lawnmower comes alive. Yes. Other machines come alive. Like a vending machine comes alive. But then uh, there are An other ATM things... comes alive. Yes. But, and then like a machine gun comes alive. But for some reason the cash register inside the diner doesn't come alive. And the people have other guns that don't come alive. Like a rocket yeah. launcher. And there were some cars that didn't come alive, even though most yeah. of the cars in Wouldn't the Wouldn't it make sense maybe to just keep it to things that have like an energy source of some kind or have a battery, like a car or an ATM. Something with or, an engine. Yeah, or something like that. Like a gun is just a gun. Well, like you a have gun to, is just a weapon. There is no logical way to decide this, but you do have to have the cutoff somewhere. I think that we could just blame <laughs> it on Stephen King being on coke. And not a good director. <laughs> well, it's funny because he actually, well, he initially he came out like he tried to promote the movie by saying like, you know, I've seen a lot of people adapt my movies and not a lot of them have been good, so I'm gonna do one. And then years later he said, Why haven't you made another movie? And he said, Have you seen Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> so well. he just had some awareness. Um, yeah. So we have that trope. Uh, yeah, the heart of like the ghost type of thing, you know, like the someone died here set up, which that's like every goddamn ghost movie. Yeah. Um, how about the mirror scare? The mirror scare. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, where you go down to the sink and then you come up and Phantasm has a good one. Yeah. Uh, it's like the very last scene of the movie. I do have a thing about mirrors. I don't like being like <laughs> mirrors. Like for me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to have one in my room. Mm-hmm. Because if I turn around and I see my mirror out of the corner of my eye, I'll think the reflection in the mirror is somebody in the room yeah. or something. <laughs> so I understand, like, mirror scares are pretty effective. I don't know, aside from Oculus, what else oh, yeah. you could really do with that. Mm. I mean, because the mirror scare is basically just like, it's like a shot. It's like a letter in a script, basically, yeah. by this point. Mm. Or, uh... The killer's in the back seat. Oh, God. The killer's in the back seat. It's impossible to hide in somebody's back seat. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whenever I go into my car, I look to see what's in my car, even when it's dark out. Yeah. I mean, even if it's dark out, you can see into the back of your car. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is your car like a bus? 
Yeah. I mean, the only place a killer can conceivably hide is the trunk, and they're not getting through there. No, I mean, they could hide in the trunk. Or and under then, the car, maybe? I mean, theoretically... Like Robert per- De Niro? Theoretically, a car can... Theoretically, the trunk of the car, like, you can... A lot of trunks, you can actually go through the trunk, through the back seat. Some of them. As it folds up. Some of them. Some of them, some of them. But it's... Uh, but that takes some serious pointing. You'd have to know that in advance. Yeah. I don't know how many psychotic killers are familiar with the makes and models of cars. Mm. Oh, Here, no. This is the 1A variant. It doesn't have fold-down seats. Yeah. Here's a good question. Is the trend of there's something scary in the basement tired? Or is that just a classic no, thing? No. I don't think that will get tired because it's just so elemental to yeah. human experience. Every person from the time they were child have been a child has been afraid of the dark and the basement is always this kind of mm-hmm. it's this disorderly place where there are so many unknowns yeah i don't think that's going to go away here's something that i'd like to point now, out. i mean there are some um, adults who don't like to go down the basement yeah what well, like i'd like to point out as a good thing with harmu like that harmu should do more of is embracing um embracing the horror that is just right there for you like i i talked about the movie the witch or the uh, witch or the witch uh, a while back and that was a movie that i found incredibly terrifying in large part because a lot of it centered on this family and um just complete lack of trust that mm. develops and how much women have no role in society uh, at least in the, in the world that this family is in, and like the witches are, you know, they, they they don't pretend to not be gruesome and you know like these naked like creepy things, but they're also kind of honest, and because of that, like the horror part of it almost becomes like, well, could you be t- tempted to yeah. become this? So even though there are a lot of horrific things, by the end of it, there's almost this uh, ironic like pleasure part of it yeah that like this girl has finally fulfilled like her destiny yeah uh, that was i had a feeling about that when i saw Candyman. man mm. there's a weird Candyman really sticks out to me yeah. not just because it defies a lot of the conventional structure of horror films mm. and because it actually takes place in a unique location an urban setting right it's because the ending has this very bittersweet tone to it. Like this, like somehow this ended badly, but it also, but you're kind of okay with what happened. Mm. I don't want to spoil it because the end of Candyman is really, it kind of hits you. Yeah, it hits you. And then that Philip Glass music plays and you're just like, huh, you really want to think about it. Yeah, it goes definitely goes in a different direction. Um, yeah, I I'm trying to think of another unique kind of horror situation that we could have. Like, how about uh, um, I don't know. Let, let's deal with like real little kids. How about like a horror movie set in an elementary school? <laughs> oh, <you're, laughs> you mean like uh, Cooties with Elijah Wood? What? No, that was like the kid zombie film where... Uh, I've never heard of this. There's a kid zombie movie? I, I think it was called Something with Cooties. I'm wow. Sure. Oh, this is a pretty recent movie. Yeah, it's recent. Cooties, wow. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Well, this is... Yeah, all right. Well, that's, that's kind of a comedy horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
I no, don't but know. I mean, well, I think, like, think about the film The, the Witches, based on Roald Dahl's book. Oh. There's something scary about that. It's not. It's not the heart. It's not like a hard horror film. There's it's no not violence. executed. It's not. It's the perfectly executed movie. But seeing that again, there is something that is extremely terrifying. That yeah, that kid is the main character of that story. Yeah, and he can take care of himself well, but you know he's also up against these unabashedly nasty witches. Right, and at the end of the film, they've actually pulled their punch. Because the book ends very differently from the film. You've, oh, does se- you've seen The Witches recently, right? Yeah, I haven't read the book, though, since the I book was a ends, real little kid. The book ends in a different way. Hmm. Uh, in another one of these situations where it's like, man, that's that's kind of that's kind of dark. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of it later on. But, I mean, it's not even just necessarily this idea of let's have an adult, a film for adults starring children where children die let's have a film starring children where bad things happen and you can't take them back and mm. they're and that and that frightens the children who see it not in a in a not in a terrible way but you can have horror without blood mm. you can have horror without death there are things that are there are ideas that are frightening i just thought of something oh yeah okay so we have the movie american psycho Yes. Which is, uh, you know, it's kind of a satire, but it also is a horror movie about uh, a man who uh, works in Wall Street and he's a super wealthy douchebag uh, materialist, super shallow, Christian who's a Bale. serial killer. Yeah. Um, the book, he's it's even more messed up, man. If you ever read the book someday, let me know. <laughs> but I just thought about, okay, we so we have this movie set in the world of finance. How and about not just not just any period in the eighties? Yeah. How about a horror movie set in the world of politics? And I mean, like, what if you had somebody who was a politician who was like a true serial killer who somehow gotten in there, and people in like Washington and even like the government are getting knocked off? And at first you think it's some conspiracy story, and then it turns into like. No, there's this actual killer who's going about killing people. Hmm. Because you don't really get that often. Usually in stories dealing with politics, you know, maybe you get like a conspiracy thriller or something. Or or sometimes maybe it might be a little bit more historical or something. You don't usually get a, a story that maybe in its way is also satirical, like showing how... Uh, blood, bloody-minded some of these politicians are out there. But you have a character who's a literal killer. Yeah. There is... The only thing I can think of that's close to that is the dead zone. Oh. It's not uh, quite uh, on the scale you're talking about, not, but it does... I don't know quite like that. Because in the dead zone, that's more about this guy can see into the future and sees that this politician kind of causes either it's World War Three or the apocalypse to happen. Yeah. But he's not really, but I don't know if the, but it's been a while since I've seen a dead zone. Uh, but, but there is this idea of Martin Sheen yeah, playing this politician as this man who is going to try to become president at any cost 
and ultimately the very things that are going to get in the presidency are going to lead the world to destruction. Yes. And so Christopher Walken's character has to make a choice. Do I stop him? Like, do I actually shoot him and stop him? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like how you, terror- I, liked, I like for a second you looked around for a second. Is anybody listening to me? Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a terrible choice. I mean, Christopher Walken. You know, it's this whole thing of. You don't do these things because they're not right. But then you're stuck between these two terrible things and you either have to do the least terrible thing, yeah. which is going to seem awful, and no one's going to know the choice you make because they don't understand the world that you do. That's mm-hmm. that's more of a that's more terror of, of concept. Yeah, well again, like yeah, it deals a little bit with the political world, but that's that's not the main world it's set in. It's really more about this guy who's clairvoyant and he's seeing all these visions in the future and he happens to come into this story involving this politician who will destroy the world. That's a little bit different than what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, you're talking about a character who is a politician who is also a serial killer. Yes, I mean, again, that might might be kind of high concept, so to speak. Yeah. But it could be interesting and, like, you maybe deal with... uh, like nobody believes it at yeah. first it just becomes like oh it's just gossip but no people are actually wow, that's, that's weird gossip <laughs> oh yes uh senator miller is uh, drinking the blood of women yeah <laughs> but you and you really commit to it and like you you could have like uh like it, like because a lot of, like you could almost have like the senate or the congress like a high school <laughs> <laughs> I think if you really commit to it, yeah. But you also make it this sort of nexus between two different worlds. Like imagine like the everyday world where we think everything's normal. Yeah. And one person finally gets this clue: this senator is a murderer. <laughs> and then you finally go into that senator's world, and it's something much darker. Yeah. And it's it's like that the secret shadow government <laughs> with you know that conspiracy theories theorists always talk about. But what would be great about that though is you could even mess with that in the story. And you have people who are creating all of these conspiracy theories, but it just turns out, no, this guy is just a psychotic killer. I have had a similar idea. Remember, we talked once about the Satanic Panic? A little bit. Yeah, and I've, I've, I'm fascinated with it. The Satanic Panic of, you know, the Why 70s. Why don't you explain to our listeners for a second what okay. the Satanic in the Panic Satanic, The Satanic Panic is this kind of nexus of pop culture and crime in yeah. that... Uh, it kind of starts in the 70s where there's this re- there's this emergence of interest in the occult yeah. and witchcraft and things. It's brought about by like the 1960s and interest in New Age stuff. But there's mm-hmm. then there's a conservative reaction where it's like all these hippies are trying this, Wic- this Wicca and all these alternative religions. Maybe what they're actually doing is witchcraft. Yeah. And also there, uh, so, so you get movies like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and what was that movie that John Travolta had like The Devil's the... Reign? <laughs> yes, Suspiria the actually is kind of p- piggybacking on that with this secret coven of witches that exists in this dance school. Mm. It's this idea that underneath society there were these covens of witches, which were just Satan's agents on Earth. Yeah. Now. Uh, it gets it, it reaches this fever pitch in the '80s where people be- begin to believe that heavy metal is yes. is this is uh, a tool of Satan to yeah. convince people to commit suicide and join black uh, and 
practice black magic. Also, Dungeons and Dragons was assumed by a lot of people to be a training ground for witches. Dark Dungeons, by the way. Good movie if you want to get into that. Yeah. But uh, but it also came. T- but there was also this much more sinister, much more serious notion of children being sexually abused and being sacrificed in these rituals by Satanists. Now, ultimately, this proved to be an urban legend. It never actually happened. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was this kind of moral panic that gripped the, ni- the, the United States in the, in the 1980s. And people went to jail because they were charged with molesting dozens of people who they never even touched. Now, it's... There was, and pop culture fed into that. Yeah. People were looking to films like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby to try, to, and that was coloring what they thought Satanism was. Uh, but I was thinking, what if there was a film about someone in the real life Satanic Panic, like a prosecutor or somebody, or a parent who believed that their child had been uh, victimized by Satanists, and they begin weaving this conspiracy of this is the secret underground Satanist network that's trying to take over the world. Oh boy! Because there were these these conspiracy theories about people like these are Satanists. They are international. They are trying to undermine world governments in order to take over the world. And it's all garbage because most conspiracy theories are garbage. Yeah. But imagine someone going so deep into that that they believe it, and then all of a sudden they hit that one personal thing where it's like. They learn a piece of information about somebody and it's like the whole thing falls apart in their mind and they realize they have been ruining people's lives over nothing. You know what you do though? You have a character who is actually like a kind of hardcore conspiracy nut who comes upon this information and because he has this information, nobody believes him. Except maybe, you know, he has his core base, but I right. mean like the public at large. So you get somebody like an Alex Jones type. Uh, you know who Alex Jones is? Yeah, oh yeah, I know who Alex Jones Oh, God. <laughs> but, I, but I think the real horror from this idea is this idea that you feel that you're so right and you ruin so many people and the moment you realize you're wrong, it's too late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then you, But if you make him, like, unlikable in a way... Not unlikable, but if you make him a little bit of a jerk then it's it almost makes it kind of interesting because you have to work your way to really mm. find this character uh, believable. You do have to identify with people in order to feel, it is, the, that to is feel horror. Yeah, that's always a thing with horror movies. You need to have kind of like your everyman. Yeah. Um, and either you... Well, it doesn't have to be an everyman. People make that mistake that, like, you have to make someone so general that there's no possible way that they can conflict with you. But, I mean, I think there's this idea... Right, you can have people be unique characters. Mm-hmm. They just also have to have humanity. Yeah. It's in, it's in like, those little flaws that people have, that you identify with people. It's like, oh, I've made that mistake before. Or I've, I've been in an awkward situation like this. It's not making people generic. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go off No, 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 no. I, I, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. I was just trying to think of ways to make it, like... Not the typical. But there's also a way, just go straight. Just say, yes, there's really a satanic conspiracy of people. And that could be an interesting movie, too. The thing that fascinates me about the satanic panic is how much. More more about the reaction of people to, to it. Yeah. The thing that really interests me is, like, people built this world that they thought satanists exist. And it's so vivid and imaginative that it's it's 
almost great fiction. It's just yeah. a, well, well, also, it's just a problem that actually ruined people's lives. Yeah, well, it could be relatable today too because you have like you know people built up like about Muslims or something that they are the this group of people who are doing all of these things and we got to stop them and they're also creating like a yeah. huge fear over nothing. Yeah. That's 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 pretty good too. Um so I'm trying to think of anything else I could bring up. There is um, one thing I want to bring up. This okay. is a horror concept that I've been wondering if it's possible to do. Okay. I've probably mentioned this to you once, but it's worth talking about again. If you talk to somebody about the most the most frightening experience in their life, if you talk to someone who's older, you might find someone to say, it was when I was in that battle in the war. So I've always thought, like, that's the scariest moment for some people, of actually being in in war. Why can't you make a horror film based on the experience of war? But when you say that, do you mean, like, just showing, like, a battle? Or do you mean creating some type of horror movie scenario in a battle? I mean, like, war films are... It's, it's about the feeling that you create like, within the Like, does it become, like, Predator or something? No. It's not like... It's not like a slasher film in the jungle. Mm -hmm. It's like... When you film war... In a war film, no one ever feels scared during a war film. You may feel tension. You're like, is this person going to make it? Or you could see something and you're like, oh, that's terrible. But very, but you don't feel the same feeling you do in a horror film, where See, you feel suspense, where you feel the the hairs on your head stand on end. Do yourself a favor, watch Platoon. Okay. Because I think that Platoon, seeing that again recently, I feel like Oliver Stone, which interestingly enough, he he kind of starred in horror films. Yeah. Uh, granted, the hand, the, the hand, and seizure, but he, you know, he went to war. And he took his experiences and put them into this movie where, you know, he, he shot war in a much different way than people had seen up to that point. Even even other Vietnam movies like Apocalypse Now and Deer Hunter, it wasn't done quite this way where because it was from the grunt's point of view, you have scenes in that movie where they set it up pretty well where Charlie Sheen, he's like with like one or two other guys and they have to kind of watch... Uh, on an overnight shift, you know, they have to kind of keep watch and take turns. One guy will fall asleep and the other guy will be awake and so on. And Charlie Sheen is on watch, but he's kind of nodding off. And all, all of a sudden he opens his eyes and there's a figure kind of coming at him, yeah. which is the Viet Cong. And it's this enemy that in its way, in the kind of metaphorical sense is like a horror movie character. And Oliver Stone goes to great lengths in the movie I mean, maybe once or twice he does show someone, but oftentimes the Viet Cong in the movie, you never see their faces. Mm. You never really hear like so. They have this other quality to them. Yeah. So I've thought about I've thought about so this I think idea. That this, so I think what you're talking about might be kind of close to that, except. But I'm guessing that maybe what you're thinking of is without like the messagey part of of platoon. Yeah. I mean, horror films are, are rarely preachy. So you want to have they like are, that? They're usually pretty poor. So do you now? Do you would you see it as like? Well, I, I know I just brought Platoon, but I mean like characters who are 
but in the style of characters are in a, a fight where they're ba- where they're in their battle, the other side takes on the horror movie aspect, or there are supernatural or other entities. Well, I'd, I'd want to avoid the supernatural because I mean, I've thought about this a, a few times. Yeah, and I, 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 and I'm not sure it's possible. Well, again, but I, but I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't think like it's. It's not like the enemy is literally invisible, or they're using magic, or they're not just like a bunch of Michael Myers is running around. I I think they it go well. Part of what I think well, you're thinking of is the fact that, yeah, yeah, horror movies, they a lot of the violence happens in a battle very quickly. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, a lot of times an explosion will happen or somebody will get shot and. You know, there will be a lot of carnage, but it also, because it's so fast, that's part of what makes it so horrific. Mm. Um, another example, of course, is the opening of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, but that's, you don't feel horror. in. You don't opening. think that's kind of a horror sequence? He's not treating that, like, very horrific? No, because there is this, because, is it because, the, people of the, we, because the people we identify with in Saving Private Ryan are not helpless they aren't at a disadvantage. They 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 get shaken up. They get shaken up, but I mean, Saving Private Ryan is a war film through and through. It's supposed to fe- it's it's supposed to cause these moments of excitement mm. and and these thrills that you usually get in a battle scene. Okay. I mean, no battle scene has ever been played for scares. No, you know it's a good one. Full Metal Jacket. Hmm. Do you remember when? No, it's in the. It's near the end. When the guy is being shot by the sniper, right. and you see those slow motion shots of the sniper hitting him, and Oliver Stone actually talked about this in the book that, like, he said, like, Full Metal Jacket wasn't perfect for him, but he said, like, that idea of somebody, like, one sniper in an empty building yeah. will make, like, like this, like, this army troop go crazy, and they'll try to bomb and shoot the crap out of this building... But that one sniper is still there and yeah. still shooting at this one guy who is stuck in the middle of this field that people can't, they can't get him out. I feel like in a way, yeah, I know that there's kind of more, it's more about excitement, but there is a bit of a horror aspect to that. The fact yes. that this guy is getting blown to bits. There's something very distressing about that. Yeah. I just don't know if it's possible to take To the... do that for a whole movie? Yeah, and I don't know if it's possible to up that feeling so that you can feel the same sort of dread that you do but I think in a the horror problem, film, in a war but film. But the problem then is you have to deal with who are your antagonists, who are attacking your characters. Yeah. So I think that's but that, then, that's where you're getting a so, little bit tripped up. Yeah, it's, and... It's, 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 and ironically, again, it's not consistent, but in things like Platoon and Full Metal Jacket, they kind of achieved a bit of that sensation there might be examples i'm not even thinking of but yeah and, and i'm I mean, trying to kind of relate what you're saying to something that i've seen because i mean you're making a good point about transposing the horror movie yeah. more into uh a war film i'm just trying to think about how it would work yeah me too i mean it's it's this really i i mean Maybe there's a way to prove to myself that no, this is not possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, it may be like well, this. Well, what, what was the Sherlock Holmes's phrase? Uh, whenever, uh, whenever you eliminate the obvious, the impossible, however unlikely, has to be the answer. Yes. I'm so you have to figure out if this is impossible or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But it's, but you do make a good point. Having an invisible enemy, not like literally invisible, but one that you never see. Yeah. Or... I think about Agiri the Wrath of God at mm-hmm. the end. They keep getting shadow sh- 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 showered in arrows. <laughs> My brain locked up. You know what was also? They keep getting showered in arrows by people on the shore they never even see. Oh, bring it back to Apocalypse Now. That has some scary shit in that movie. Yeah. The scene where Martin Sheen is tied up and Marlon Brando, you don't see him too much. He's just, you see his feet walking to him and then you see his face and then he just casually, then he just casually drops the guy's head in Martin Sheen's lap. Yeah. That, I remember when I was like younger seeing that movie the first time, I was like, oh, yeah. So maybe something like that. Again, the, the issue is more about, and even Apocalypse Now dealt a lot with the horror of war in your heart and what that does to people, what that did to Kurtz. That was that was a very intellectual horror. Intellectual, but they do show it. Yeah. They do show that. They do show what happens when you don't see your enemy and they attack you from the river. Even that one little moment with the tiger, like that has the buildup of like kind of a horror movie scene where they're, they're kind of surrounded by darkness. You must make a friend of horror. <laughs> that... That was your mom, Brando. Has a face. Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Horror and moral. I say horror has a face, and you two must make a friend of horror. How was that? I say, was that like David Niven now? Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Uh, Alec Guinness as Colonel, as Colonel Kurtz. Kurtz. I want to see that now. I was shot like a diamond bullet right through my forehead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, but that's a good I've point. I've been tapped out. All right. So I think that we have had a very good discussion. Uh, I think that hopefully for all of you people out there uh, in podcast land listening, uh, if you are fan of horror films and if you have made a friend of horror if you have made a friend of horror and moral terror um give us an email wagesofcinema at gmail.com let us know if uh you can give us any examples of the kind of horror tropes that we've talked about that maybe we didn't uh mention uh or expand on other things uh we're also on facebook and twitter and instagram and tumblr and all those good things I usually try to post some good pictures and some little fun trailers and things for you guys to check out. Um, and make sure to always update uh, if you subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes uh, for when we have new podcasts. Um, and give us a review. It helps us out. Um, so next time we will have more in movie land. More cinema immersion tank. More talking about tropes and ropes and other dopes. Exactly. Yeah, and we'll, we'll probably have something very uh, interesting to talk about. We'll definitely we, have something interesting to talk we, about, We always Jack. try to do that. Um, so with that, I'm Jack. And I'm Andrew. And remember, the wages of cinema is death. Have a good night.